Hey there, before we get started today, I just wanted to say a big thanks to Vitaly and Charge B for sponsoring this episode, which allows me to continue producing Churn FM as an independent creator. Vitaly came in at a vital time for me and perhaps they can for you too. If you're looking to maximize the productivity, visibility and collaboration of your CS team while increasing NRR and streamlining operations, Vitaly is the all-in-one customer success platform to help you do just that. They're also currently giving away a free pair of AirPods to all TrainFM listeners when you take a qualified demo with them. So if you're in the market for a CS platform, visit vitally.io forward slash TrainFM today to schedule your demo and get your AirPods. That's V-I-T-A-L-L-Y dot I-O forward slash C-H-U-R-N-F-M. And in other news, Chargebee just launched their much-awaited 2024 State of the Subscriptions and Revenue Growth Report. With an exclusive focus on retention strategies, pricing trends, and churn rate projections based on a survey of over 300 subscription businesses. I personally got an early sneak peek, and you don't want to miss this one. To grab a copy, you can visit chargebee.com forward slash churnfm. That's C H A R G E B E E dot C O M forward slash C H U R N F M. With that being said, let's jump to today's episode. Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Fletcher Reichman, co founder of Help who now serves as the head of product for help after their recent acquisition by Atlassian. In this episode, we talked about the role of churn and retention when it comes to evaluating an investment opportunity. We then moved on to discuss what help is, the motivation behind building it, and how they made the decision to pivot from building an integration tool to a standalone ticketing solution built on top of Slack and Microsoft Teams. We also discussed how keeping it simple helps help measure churn and retention, and then dove into the unique and effortless land and expand strategy, we also chat about how starting with small teams makes their sales process easier and gives them more opportunity for expansion. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. This is churn.fm the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Fletcher, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Fletcher is the head of product for Help, a conversational ticketing platform that was recently acquired by Atlassian. Prior to founding Help, Fletcher was the co-founder of Catalyze CU, Colorado University's startup accelerator program. Fletcher is also an investor and partner in Cocopelli, investing in the Rocky Mountain region. So I'm excited to have you on the show today. Obviously, like uh, we first met out when I was out in uh, Boulder, Colorado, spent some time out there. And at that time, uh, you were, had your investor hat on uh, and you were looking into different companies, looking uh, into investing into startups in the region. And I'm interested, uh, first of all, before we jump into help and what you're doing there now at the moment, but when it comes to churn and retention, how much did churn play an aspect or retention play an aspect in some of the investments you looked into? And as an investor, what were some of the things that you were looking for within these companies? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I 
it was definitely something my eye always went to. Either I would look for it in, in the slide deck or I would ask entrepreneurs about their churn. And I think though, before starting help, I really looked at it as purely just a number and I didn't get into the nuances of the fact that churn, I think typically one, it's not just a number. These are actual customers. Like there's stories behind every single one of these events that's happening. And then two is that churn, I think is so nuanced because you have like old products. Sometimes it can be a good thing. You can have a bunch of customers from an old product that you're cutting off. Sometimes it really tells you a lot about who your best customers are. Like there's so many different layers to it. I, I don't think I actually ever really would dig in nearly enough to like, let's segment this out or what is this, what types of customers are churning the most? I, I never really looked at it like that. I just go, oh, you have 10% churn. That's bad. Okay. <laughs> and then I, that, that's all I would glean out of it. So that was it. that's actually a really interesting perspective as well. Like for entrepreneurs looking to raise capital and maybe just like sharing a little bit more insight into your numbers and the reasons behind it. Cause definitely, as you say, there could be reasons like churning out bad customers that just aren't a good fit for you. Like it could be something strategic that the business is trying to move away from. And as a result, it's maybe impacted a specific segment. But if you have really got a good focus, a good strategy on like how you're going to be improving that number and this was maybe part of it that could end up putting you maybe like in a bad lens when viewing just top level numbers, but underneath, like once you segment and understand this is really good uh, fit from there. Interesting as well, like obviously going into this, then now you decided at some point to launch help. What was the motivation behind that? What made you say, okay, I'm going to take my investor head off for a while now and get in the ring and uh, start building my own company. How did you go about deciding that? Yeah, it was a natural thing, to be honest. The venture fund that I was working for at the time reached its end of its fund and they weren't raising an ex-fund. And like I, I pretty much got let go, <laughs> didn't have a job anymore. And so I was like, all right, what am I going to do next? And at the time, so this was early 2017, I had been, I'm pretty obsessed with productivity tools in general. I'm just a really big fan of Zapier or Calendly or Streak or any of these tools that just make my life better and my little minutia of tasks a little bit less if they can I don't have to schedule meetings and if I don't have to like leave my inbox to use my CRM those things all just save me a little bit of time and so I'd always been a huge fan of Slack Slack was like this place I could pump all of my data and information into we used it at Catalyzed we used it really in the early days like 2015 2014 when it had just come out and so in 2017 Slack was very clearly to me breaking out to the point where it was going to become this platform that people could build on top of. It seems obvious now, but they had four or 5 million weekly active users at the time. Microsoft Teams didn't exist at all in 2017. Slack had just come out with threading and like the whole idea of uh, chatbots. I don't know if you remember like that whole era of chatbots that was on the tail end of it becoming yeah. clearly not the, the trend. And so I got really excited about the idea of building on top of Slack, but really as an interface to, to create a product that would allow people to do some sort of a job inside of Slack without leaving it. And so honestly, we just started building stuff on Slack in 2017. Like initially it was going to be a CRM, but we just did the whole customer validation journey and invalidated a lot of stuff really quickly, <laughs> to be yeah. honest with you. And just trying to find that thing that was a, a true pain point for Slack customers is where we started. 
That's awesome. Uh, and obviously, I think it's interesting that uh, you essentially got let go. And this is what led you down your like career now into in terms of like next steps and becoming an entrepreneur. And then also that seeing that inflection point, because I think actually like Slack's biggest sort of like theory was becoming like the workplace operating system. It wasn't really about ever becoming like a chat platform to do for teams to communicate. It was more about like this move towards becoming that operating system that different tools and services we build on top of and that you had the foresight to think uh, to see that and uh, get started early is definitely interesting so tell us a little bit about help what is a confrontational ticketing platform like how do you help your customers what was that insight that you found like uh, through experimenting yeah so we, we got pulled pretty quickly into uh ticketing help desk ticketing as a general space which I honestly didn't even know that much about. It's weird now because all, all I do all day, every day is thinking about it, but I wasn't super clear on what that was and the different problems that it solved. The first product we built was actually purely just an integration between two services. It integrated Slack and Zendesk and allowed people to manage different use cases around doing ticketing and syncing conversations between Slack and Zendesk. And that product was called Bubble IQ. It's why I mentioned as well, this idea of like tr- sometimes churning out customers is a good thing. That was our first product where we got some early product market fit and early validation. We got our first kind of hundred customers onto that product. And then we actually figured out that there was a much bigger opportunity. And so the help product today, instead of just integrating between different tools, help is its own standalone ticketing solution. It's primarily focused on internal teams. So most medium to large size companies have dedicated internal IT, dedicated internal HR operations, facilities, all these different internal service organizations who they provide service to other employees. And so we've we found that those teams typically have like a Slack channel where people just ask them questions and they don't have a way to track what they're doing. And they needed a dedicated tool to manage those requests and make sure that the ball wasn't getting dropped on all those things. And so after about a year and a half of building that bubble IQ product that was purely just integrating with Zendesk, we realized this big opportunity to actually build a a brand new service desk product. And we built that out and we launched that in early 2019. And at that point, raised money from Slack's venture fund and a bunch of other Colorado investors. And that's pretty much the the help product today. It's a a ticketing solution built into now, not just Slack, but also into Microsoft Teams that helps people manage those internal requests across IT, HR, deal desk, all the different internal departments in a company. I just wanted to give a quick reminder that our sponsors of this episode today are Vitaly and Chargebee. Vitaly are giving away a free pair of AirPods to all qualified demos, so if you're in the market for a new CS platform, make sure to visit vitaly.io forward slash churnfm today. You can also grab a copy of the latest state of the subscription and revenue growth report by visiting chargebee.com forward slash churnfm and let them both know that I sent you. Now back to today's episode. Very cool. And... What was that sort of decision like at the beginning? So you started out ticketing, help desk, connecting into Zendesk and so forth. Like you realized there was this opportunity at that point, like you had some form of product market fit, but you saw a big opportunity. Like how did you and the team decide to make that decision? Like how quickly did you have to make it? And uh, how did the company then just make that pivot essentially? Yeah, totally. It was a pretty tricky time in the business for sure. Because you, I think in the very early days when you don't have any paying customers, it's a lot easier to move around quickly. You're not letting 
anybody down. You're not dropping the ball for anybody. But like I said, we had like over a hundred paying customers who we had to figure out whatever we did in our next thing, how would they come along with us or not come along with us? And we explored a bunch of different avenues. Honestly, it was a, I'd say a bit of a low point for the company where we were just struggling to figure out what to do next. We were going everywhere from building an internal directory product to building a customer success solution. But what we ended up doing that worked super well is out of those hundred customers, we went in and said, okay, who are the customers in this group that pay us the most money, that love the product the most, and that are closing the fastest, like you, like coming in into our funnel and closing really quickly, as well as continuing to stay and expand with the product over time. And we had this segment of customers, which was these internal teams, these IT teams that were using it really well and just loving it. And we weren't even honestly targeting that, them that much. We were almost ignoring them. And so I just had a bunch of conversations with them and said, okay, how are you using the product? Why are you using it this way? Why are you using Zendesk for this? Because it's not really built for that. And okay, what if we were to build X for you? So having that base of customers was, I'd say, both a blessing and a curse because we were able to use them to navigate through that, that tricky path and say, okay, here's the product opportunity that I'm hearing from all of my best customers. So it's okay if I fire this group of other customers that are actually really price sensitive and don't want to pay for this and don't want to do all this stuff and focus in on my like 20 or 30% of customers that are the best. And that ended up being obviously a really good decision when we did it. Absolutely. And let's talk about that a little bit more detail. So you did some analysis, segmenting, trying to understand which customer base was the ideal customer from a few different angles. And obviously you mentioned like one of them, which was converting the fastest and who were the happiest. And I'm interested when it comes to building products on top of platforms like Slack, how much does churn and retention come into it? And how are you going about effectively measuring it essentially? What are some of the key metrics that you're looking to try and understand when it comes to retention? How are you measuring the engagement of your users through these uh, services? Because I would imagine it's not like a typical web app where you can instrument your own analytics and understand every action and every move that they're taking within the app. So how do you go about measuring churn and retention and uh, just engagement in general? Yeah, it's a great question. And you're right. So one of the core tenets of help is that you don't ever have to leave Slack to do your job, both as the person who's asking for help, like opening up a ticket, as well as, and this is the really unique part, the agent or the person who's actually managing the ticket, they can do that all from this special experience that we create for them inside of Slack or Microsoft Teams. We do have a web application. So we do have some sort of your traditional, like you log into our web app, you can manage tickets there, you can do settings and things like that. But like you mentioned, people don't necessarily have to do that. And we do a couple things. I'll start with our top of funnel when people are coming in. There's some unique aspects to, let's talk about Slack specifically. When someone adds our app to Slack, that's how they actually start their trial. So we don't have like passwords. We don't have any other way to, to sign in. You just add to Slack. We get your, your email address from that. That's how you've started off your trial. And then you set up your, your create your first ticket is our big goal of what we're trying to get you to. So the thing that I like to that I like to do when we're thinking about both activation initially, as well as retention, if you can boil it down to one very valuable action that a customer is taking, you could try and measure like all this other different stuff. But ideally, if you can get it down to one thing, it's just simpler to, to understand what's going on. And so for us, it's, it's very simple. Are they making tickets, right? If you're not making tickets, you're probably not using your ticketing system very much. And so what we found is that 
during activation, if a customer makes two tickets, the first ticket being that sort of like test one in the onboarding, the second ticket being like, now you're actually really trying the system out. If they make two tickets, their uh, chance of conversion actually triples when they, when, once they've made their second ticket. So our whole activation process is centered around, let's just, just get them to make two tickets. Okay, great. That top of funnel. Once they've converted, so we have a pretty standard two-week trial. They go, they put a credit card in. After that, nice thing here is it's the exact same metric. Are they making tickets? We can tell pretty easily if a customer makes zero tickets over the course of 30 days, they're pretty likely to churn, right? Because no one's yeah. using the product. And so we've basically just built a bunch of very simple alerting systems. And I think people, some, once again, people over-architect this stuff. I think the key here is simplicity. If you can boil it down to as simple of a thing as possible, otherwise then your product changes and your pricing changes and something changes and like your whole retention strategy breaks. So we've kept it very simple. Did you make tickets in our system in the last 30 days? If you didn't, let's send an alert out saying, here's a, here's the customers that haven't created tickets. And then our customer success team, or, or even we can have automated marketing emails, which, which is what we've done as we scale that send out and say, Hey, like you haven't made a ticket in the last 30 days. Can we help? Do you want us to set up some time? Is something broken? Just very simple stuff. But the simplicity is, is the reason that it works. That's how we've done it. And that because the tickets live in the back end, it, it doesn't matter that on the like, API side. And exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's very interesting. And then you mentioned as well, like from an onboarding perspective, I think one of the things that it really sounds amazing and is like the seamless nature of it by the sounds of it. And I'm just going to paint the picture and you can tell me if you're wrong. As an end user, I go through the Slack app store. I see a whole bunch of apps there. I come across help. It looks interesting. I need an internal ticketing system. All I do from there as the admin of that Slack channel is install help and help automatically creates an account for me within help. So if I wanted to then maybe log into your web app, I'm assuming that maybe there would be a Slack sign-in that would use my historical uh, information. And then I'd have access to the web app as well. But like like you said, like most of the action that you're having is pretty much going to be predominantly within Slack. And that's the goal. Yeah. People don't want another software tool. Like people want stuff that works within the tool they're already using. So. And they wanted where they have it. Yeah. I like it. This is something I firmly believe as well, especially now uh, moving to like more and more companies moving remote. Like it's important that we, and more and more tools now emerging that people just don't want another tool in their stack. They just want to have the information they need where they need it and be able to work uh, from like their environment as well. So I love the whole idea as well behind uh, help and getting started from the beginning. So interesting as well you mentioned something before the show but i wanted to dive into a little bit more now as well is in terms of like when we think about uh, net retention and uh, expansion and growing accounts you mentioned something of the way that you're able to expand accounts and to add new users to it and you mentioned adding a user to a slack channel which automatically adds them to your system like can you talk us through this a little bit like Mm -hmm. how does this work and where did the idea come from yeah totally so there's i think there's two points i want to make here that are really important The first is, I think a lot of companies fall into the trap of trying to maximize the size of the account when they first land it based on incentive structures, based on they want to get 50 or $100,000 in ARR when they first close the deal. And what we've done is we've actually done the reverse. We want to get the deal as small as possible when it first starts, because then there's less procurement to deal with. There's less everything to deal with. And so I'm super happy if we land Two, two seats at a giant company 
And it's just the two people on the IT team that want to use help because what we know happens is help. The way it works is you put it into this massive public channel. That's like it help or ask it is the very common channel that people typically set it up in first. And then everyone in the company sees it and is like, Oh my God, that was a really, like, I literally used an emoji to make a ticket. This is amazing. This was great. How do I get this for my team? So we know that there's that internal virality. So starting with a smaller team makes your sale process easier and then gives you more opportunity to expand as opposed to trying to get the big sale when you go in. That's, I think, point one I want to make, especially if you have a product that has a lot of internal visibility. I think this is point probably as well what Atlassian must have loved this with their land and expand strategy. I think that's how exactly. uh, they grew from the day one and for sure, yeah. Sorry, point two. Exactly. Yeah, it allows you to just have that self-serve motion. And so, yeah, then point two is trying to make it so that the the barrier to adding those new teams and to adding paid seats is as low as possible. And yeah, we do this really cool thing that I haven't seen anyone else do, which is there's that public request channel, which I mentioned, Ask IT, which is all the users are, are in that. If you have a, uh, let's simple example, like a 200 person company, typically all 200 employees are going to be in that Ask IT channel because they all need laptops or Zoom accounts provisioned or whatever stuff. There's also a separate Slack channel, which we call a triage channel. This is a kind of a concept we created, but we, we created it by following what our users are already doing, which they had these private triage channels where the IT team is a member of that triage channel. And what you do is you actually invite the help bot to that as well. And you link that to your queue and help. And you say, okay, this IT triage channel in Slack is linked to the queue and help. And that's actually how we manage membership. So we don't have like our own provisioning system, our own invite system, any of that stuff. The members of that channel in Slack are actually your paid seats inside of your help instance. And so what that means is that when you invite a new user to that Slack channel, okay, our IT team is five people. We support 200. We're going to add it. We hire a new employee. What's the first thing you do when you hire a new employee? You add them to a bunch of Slack channels. And so the second you add them into that, that IT channel, boom, we charge you another 50 bucks for that additional agent. And that there's not, you didn't have to invite, you didn't have to do, we, we get their email as soon as they join the channel. And, or if you create a second triage channel, you say, Hey, we have triage HR now, and we want to link that to the HR queue. Great. We're going to charge you for those agents too. And so that's been honestly magical. We were really worried for a little bit that customers would get like mad that when they add a new user to that channel, we just charge them, <laughs> but we've just put a little additional messaging and said, Hey, just so you know, you're going to, you're about to get charged. Like <laughs> this added an agent. And as long as you're clear and communicative, which is maybe like the third point that I'd say in general, in relation to retention is just be very clear with your customers about everything that's going on. Never try and sneak anything by them. But yeah, that's been a magical thing for us. That's a really unique aspect to our product and, and what we do, but that has really driven a lot of, of that land and expand viral growth. Super interesting. Uh, and I love like how effortless it is as well. Like you said, like no need for invites, emails to go out, like literally just join a channel and boom, you're there. I'm interested as well then, like in terms of the customer base, would you say it's 99% or maybe now since you have Microsoft Teams, but everybody just using uh, help through Slack or Microsoft Teams, not really, do you have any customers actually using it and the standalone web app or that's pretty much non-existent? Yeah. So we have different personas, right? So our, the, the, we call them a requester, which is the help seeker that's actually getting help. They use the product 99% through Slack. 
you can you you can submit tickets via email, but we, th- we consider it a Slack first experience, the same way you build a mobile first product. So yeah. the vast majority of our requests are coming through Slack or Microsoft Teams on the help seeker side. On the agent side, so if I'm someone answering tickets, there we see much more of a split. I'd say it's actually pretty close to 50-50 where um, half the agents, like we get messages from agents that are like, I was like out with my friend, not as much anymore with COVID, but like I was out with my friends, like at the bar and I, I was answering a ticket on my phone. They can do that right from Slack. We don't need our separate mobile app or anything like that. So there's lots of times where it's very nice to quickly answer a question through Slack. But if you're trying to manage a queue and go through a bunch of tickets, it's nice to have a dedicated interface to do that. So that one's like half and half. And then for admins work exclusively, our, our configuration experience is exclusively out of our web app. That doesn't make sense as much to do from Slack. Yeah. Uh, and then thinking through sort of retention and are you measuring then again, sort of retention uh, for the different personas? So like you mentioned, like one is mm. like creating tickets. Are you creating tickets? Yes. Uh, but the other one is, are you answering tickets as well on the other side? And then the other thing as well is, are you measuring this at the account level? And I'm assuming that would be yes, as opposed to individual user level, because I can imagine like within a company, like not every individual is always going to be creating tickets, but as long as the company as a whole is healthy and creating a decent volume of tickets, like it's a good indicator. So how are you breaking down that measurement? So when you came to tickets being created? Yeah, it's by account, which matches to your Slack workspace. So each Slack workspace is one account and we measure it on account level. We actually don't worry too much about whether the agents are applying. What we found is that if end users are using the product and opening tickets, then they're going to keep using. Yeah. Like, and if no one's replying, that's like their problem, not because we did anything wrong. It's because maybe they're understaffed or something like that. And we purely just look at tickets created by account. We don't look at, I've never been like, how many logins have we had in the last month? Like, I think that's a total vanity metric. Um, People are answering and creating tickets. Great. They're using the product. They're healthy. That's what really counts. Nice. Let's talk a little bit about acquisition then as well. When it comes to acquiring new customers and channels, like obviously I think the Slack apps channel being probably one of your biggest channels, do you acquire customers from anywhere else? And then the next question to follow on to that was, do you see different retention rates depending on where customers mm-hmm. come from? Yeah, the Slack app store is great. We see great conversion rates through it, very high intent for, for customers that are coming through the Slack app store. Google's, Google ads, Google search is a great channel for us as well. People are looking for this. They're looking for make a ticket from Slack, create Slack help desk, like those sorts of terms are are great. And then there we're we're in a couple other marketplaces as well. So I'd say the two kind of major being marketplaces and, and search, organic and paid search now. And I'd say we don't have amazing data that that follows you all the way down from like attribution to retention. That's a pretty hard one to tie all the way back together, to be honest with you. We do get a lot of referrals and I know that those are always the best customers. We have an AirPods referral program. So if you refer us a customer, we buy you a pair of AirPods Pro. And to me, that's just always going to be worth it. Even if once again, like people might say, oh, but what if it's only a $50 a month account? And I'm like, I don't care. Get me the $50 to two people on the IT team because I know it's going to expand. And it's okay if a few of them lose money because I know overall they're going to do well. Again, so we've, we've pushed that referral program pretty hard. Yeah. And then the cusp acquisition cost is like 150, whatever a pair of iPods costs. And uh, you're getting back that hundred the first month, like the payback is like a month and a half is, is pretty good. And you get these customer advocates, like the, the, 
that customer who referred you, who now has a pair of engraved AirPods, they just love you. And that to me is almost priceless. You can ask them to do webinars with you. You can ask them to do a G2 crowd review or, or whatever. And they just are so much more engaged. So there's more value to it than just the additional customer you get, I think. Absolutely. So I see we're coming close on time now. So I want to make sure I have a couple of uh, questions that I ask every guest. I recently changed this question, but typically what I ask every guest is let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now that you arrive at a new company and you've just got hired and the CEO comes to you and says, hey, Fletcher, general attention is really bad. We need to turn things around. We need to do it fast. We have 90 days. My normal question would be, what would you do? But then typically everybody says that they'll speak to customers and figure out what the problem is and then go from there. I want you to answer maybe from past experience. So you have 90 days. What would you do that's super tactical that would you believe would help reduce uh, churn? And you can talk to it from the past experience that you've done. Yeah, so I would go in, figure out what the top 20% of customers are doing that aren't churning at all. So I would try and find a segment of at least 20% of customers that have net negative churn, if not at like literally zero churn in the last 24 months. And then I would go through and systematically cut off everything from the top of funnel to the bottom of the funnel that supports any customers that aren't in that persona. So let's say that persona is like this size company and this type of buyer then I would say, okay, marketing team, we're only going to market to this group. We're no longer, we're cut or killing all marketing that is bringing in people that aren't a part of this group. Okay. Customer success team. If they're not part of this group, we're just not going to talk to them. We don't care. Like we want them to churn, get them out of here quickly. Our churns are going to go way up for the next 90 days. And then it's going to be amazing after that. So yeah, it would be like basically cutting fat, going through and just <laughs> figuring out who are the customers that we're probably spending a ton of time on that wasted aren't, aren't worth our time yeah absolutely yeah so really like doubling down on your ideal customer profile deeply understanding who they are and then like you said just stop spending money stop wasting like on acquisition on success on support for customers that are just like chewing up time and ultimately going to churn nice and probably double prices too on, on the that ideal customer profile because you're always undercharging everyone's always undercharging <laughs> always, always, for sure. Next question I ask everyone is, uh, what's one thing that you know about trainer retention today that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? I think in SaaS, it's the, the thing that's really fascinating to me is that there are businesses that look really good for the first like zero to three million ARR in growth because you can acquire a lot of customers and it's a market that like, Acquisition may be very cheap, but then those businesses end up flatlining because it's very hard to retain those customers. So there's this element of product market fit that almost includes retention. I don't know if you want to call it product market fit, whatever you want to call it, but it's very hard to know that in the beginning of when you're getting going and when you're, you might get your first 20 customers and they seem great and they seem awesome. And you might still not have a good business, which is, I actually still don't know exactly how to solve that, but I just know yeah. that it is a problem. So yeah, I think that's definitely like one of those things as an exercise, like trying to calculate your growth ceiling uh, and understanding mm -hmm. sort of your, because I think typically in early stage, like you said before, like up until 3 million, you might have growth masking the problem. So if you're growing faster than you're seeing customers churning, that's like masked by the growth that you're having. But slowly over time, you start to see like that growth declining and the churn rising. And then you get to the point where you hit your growth ceiling. There 
are ways to calculate it earlier on in your business, but it's something that people don't really pay much attention to in the beginning because they are like, look, we're growing whatever it is, like 40, 50, 100% month a month. Uh, like churn and retention is not really a concern at that point. But eventually, like when uh, channels start to get saturated, like acquisition starts to go up, like you start to see these problems occurring in some businesses sooner than others. But yeah, definitely it is an interesting concept and phenomenon and it is definitely one of those ones most often overlooked as well when things are good in the early days and so yeah and that's like the oh shit moment like now we need to actually pay attention to turn our attention but cool. yeah there's like there's an actual mathematical ceiling that you have right based on your growth rate and the number of new customers you get so if you have a thousand customers and you're churning 50 of them a month and you're acquiring 50 customers a month then you're just flat but yeah. at the beginning you're like wait i'm acquiring 50 customers a month and you only have a hundred, so you're only churning out five. And so you're like, oh, this is fine. We're growing. But yeah, yeah. The, the like combination of your churn and your, your number of acquisition, top of funnel acquisition literally creates a ceiling. You can't get above that number. It's crazy. Yeah. And that's when you need to do things like pricing, step change, like figuring out who the ideal customer is, like really doubling down and the thing. But yeah, it's been great chatting with you today. Is there any sort of final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of uh, with your work? I don't think so. I guess uh, all I would say is just SaaS is a beautiful thing. It's an incredible time to build a SaaS company. Cost has never been cheaper to do it. Long live subscriptions, I guess, is all I would say. Oh, and also I have to give a quick shout out to the podcast that my my uh, coworker and I have been doing, which is called Stonky Tonk, nice. which is just a fun like uh, podcast about stock investing. And we just joke around and have fun and teach people a little about the stock market. So <laughs> that's my little shill for the day. <laughs> Thanks. We'll definitely make sure to leave that in the show notes as well for the listeners uh, to have a listen. But yeah, obviously love to have you back again uh, sometime in the future. There's definitely going to be more topics uh, to discuss, but really appreciate the time today. It's been great chatting and catching up with you again. Yeah. You as well. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week. And with that, I just want to say a big thanks again to Vitaly and Chargebee for sponsoring this episode. If you do decide to check them out at vitaly.io forward slash churnfm and chargebee.com forward slash churnfm, please make sure to let them know I sent you because tracking podcast advertising is traditionally very difficult and I want to make sure we deliver value to them both so that we can retain them as our sponsors. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you again next week.